0: Welcome to the SOAR podcast. Thank you for your support. If you want to continue to support this podcast, there are a few things you can do for me. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would give me a five-star rating. And if you really feel motivated, go ahead and write a review. So welcome to SOAR, the Sisters Overcoming and Rising podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie, your host, and I'm here to help women overcome limiting beliefs so that they can live their best lives. Sisters come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. It's time for transformation, it's time for healing. You've got the potential, you've got the power now. We can Sisters overcoming and rising. Welcome back to SOAR and our topic Choosing Your Own Happily Ever After Embracing and Rethinking Middle Age. Now I get the pleasure of introducing my guest, who's going to help us dive into this topic. My special guest is Malkia K. Lydia. She is proud to be a powerful product of the Washington, D.C. public school system and was degreed by Duke University and Temple University. In her work as a filmmaker and a cultural worker who recovers authentic stories of community life, she is dispelling the myth of the traditional thoughts around what happily ever after is supposed to look like. Like. She is well known and respected in the world of arts and has been recognized by countless art councils for her brilliance. She has produced gallery films for Smithsonian Institution, National Civil Rights Museum, and an exhibit for the DC Commission titled Is Separate Ever Equal. She also freelances as an archival producer and creative producer on advocacy and broadcast documentaries supporting other filmmakers. Malkia leads Kuyamba Media, where she is directing and co-creating two documentaries with the film's participants. You'll get to hear much more about Malkia's work during the interview. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. And I am so glad that you are here, and I love this topic, choosing your own happily ever after, yeah. embracing and rethinking middle age. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And this is definitely one of those topics I could see us with some of our other Duke friends sitting around at a cookout and just having a conversation
1: yes that that would be a really juicy conversation too we've known each other for a long long time yep absolutely no holds bar. so you also have a different
0: perspective on this a different insight as a filmmaker and a storyteller you get to cast your own vision for what happily ever after is in your films so what does it mean to you to choose your own happily ever after in your own life
1: that's such a good question um i think it's when like so many human beings are thinking (laughs) about when they get about 50 you know i turned 50 recently and it was nice to be able to say that I have chosen a path as an independent artist and I've stuck with it, you know, and I don't mean that, you know, you can't change up careers, but it's it's really, really tough to do that. And for me, I look back to all that's been poured into me, having parents who really nurture a sense of freedom and independence and also that I could contribute to the world in a large and grand way. I really think about ancestors you know ones that we knew in terms of grandparents and great grandparents and even before the ones we don't know and how so many of them even though they had full lives did not get to you know maybe choose the vocation that they wanted to be in ultimately or live out all of their passions i mean even though things are absolutely not perfect today you know we've got all kinds of structural issues in this world for those of us who get the privilege to act on like our truest truths i don't know how you can say no like i don't know how i can say no i want to live it out i want to know that the particular things that i've been called to do or the talents that i've been given or the things that interest me or even just um the opportunities to be a better person to work on myself that i went for it that's what i want to know that i went for it and yeah so that's where I am that's what happily ever after is about for me and even though I think about it in regards to one place in my life in terms of the career that's what I've been taught for me it really applies all across the board in relationships you know how I am my family all of that so that answer really
0: resonates with me because I feel the same way I feel like I want to live out my purpose during my time on this earth and that's like one of the highest callings for me that's one of the 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 things that pulls on me the most so i I think i can understand where where you're coming from with that
1: and i would say stephanie i want to make sure that things that i attach myself to in terms of like you know life partnerships and relationships and all of that that it's all in alignment with that and that i can attract in my space and in my world people who want the same things for themselves. Like I want it to be a mutual type situation. That's what's exciting for me as I look at the, the next 50. <laughs> so. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: This is a really pertinent topic in middle age because by the time we reach middle age, we're at the point where we start to reflect on where we are in life, where we want to be, and if we are where we want to be. Now, I'm not sure if the two of us are really middle-aged because <laughs> 50 is the new 30, but what have you been reflecting
1: on during this time in your life? Yeah, you're funny. Um, and, I, and I have to say, for me, calling myself middle-aged is acknowledging that 100 is my goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so technically, I'm at the halfway mark. I'm not living out the golden girls, or anything like that. But um, I'm definitely at a place where this is a real opportunity you know if there's something that i want to be or some you know goal in terms of my character that i want to go after or just even, you know, goals on how I want to spend my time and what I want to contribute. What What is the waiting for at this point? You know what I'm saying? You know, you can't put it off forever. You have to go for it. And 50 just seems like a time to kind of like sit down and recalibrate. And then I also honestly, you know, this topic, I brought it up. But like I told you before this conversation tonight, it came with some trepidation because do I want to talk about the fact that There's a little bit of worry, like maybe I haven't been completely on the path that I want to be on. And one of the main areas that comes up for me um, in regards to is mothering, you know, becoming a mother. Uh, You know, it's not like when you're 25 or even 35, where you can say, okay, you know, I can think about that again in a couple of years. Nope. (laughs) Mother nature's like, that's not how it works, you know? So I want to give myself room to think about it. And it's brought up so much for me once you get past the lies around, oh, this generation of women hasn't chosen mothering because of career, that BS, that's not not what it is. Right. Um, It's just brought up a lot for me. And I know we'll get into it more in this conversation. It's brought up a lot for me. And again, I wanna make sure that I am choosing what I choose out of like real uh purpose and reasons as opposed to like some fear of missing out to me that's the most selfish reason in the world to become a mother it's fear of missing out I'll be honest you know so anyway we'll get into more of that mm-hmm.
0: no no that that makes total sense just like what you brought up before wanting to be on purpose and in alignment and Be your truest form of truth, I think you you mentioned, so it would make sense that that would be cognitive dissonance to do something just because you're afraid of missing out if it's not in alignment with your truest truth. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as you talked about, for some of us, there are things that we expected to have by this point in our lives. It might be career success or it might be children or a husband or recognition of um or it might be a certain level of health so how does one embrace and rethink middle age when you don't have the things that you thought you would have by this point in your life
1: you know i'm I'm, i think that i'm slowly getting that nobody is at the place they thought they were going to be mm-hmm. um, at middle age. And it's probably true at some other age, you know, uh, important markers in life as well. Nobody is exactly where you thought you would be and that's okay. You know, um, so what do you do with that? That And that's what I'm figuring out right now. So for one, I had to take some of my own advice because when I talk to um, like younger members in my family or folks that I've coached or just friends, you know, who feel you know, either some remorse about something or that they're off track or in some kind of way, I you know, I always say to them, you're alive. Like, as long as you have breath and you are on this planet, 100% is possible. Like whatever it is you're going for is possible, complete, you know, transformation is possible. Like those are some woo woo words, but you you know what I'm saying. It can apply to just very practical things. It doesn't mean that there won't be some effort required. It doesn't mean there won't be some things that you got to let go of or give up. Um, and, it, and it doesn't mean like I'm not necessarily saying pursuing some just fake external validation of some sort. But you really can do anything as long as you are here on the planet and alive. So let's work with that, you know? And so I'm talking to myself, uh, giving myself some of the same invite, advice. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I answered that question that well. <laughs> but um, part of it, I think, is just recognizing the power that there is in the fact that you are breathing and that you are alive. And then I think it's also an opportunity to acknowledge what has been true, like what you have done and created. And for me, you know, the mothering piece, coming back to that, to that again, I have mothered in so many ways in terms of actual like biological children who are in my life and my, um, well, in my biological family, I should say they're not my biological children. Um, in terms of people that I've mentored, in terms of like friends, like sisters, we mother each other, you know what I'm uh-huh. saying? Um, even now, oh, this is the one that I know a lot of folks in our age group feel. To some extent, when you start parenting your parents, absolutely. Ooh, that's a lot. One that, that one right there is a lot behind that one, and you. And the other aspect is realizing that even in my creative work, in my art, I'm mothering. Like I'm trying to birth something that's going to have a life beyond me. So I think about all those things, and I think you know what I'm looking at in my own life about recognizing what's possible and all that's possible and not regretting what has been, that's the same thing I would offer to other people. Let's start from that place.
0: Absolutely. Now, you said before that you're thinking about, you know, mothering and how that's taken on different forms in your life. And if you want that to take on an additional form, have you given yourself like a, a deadline or something as to when you want to have a decision or you, are you just allowing it to be totally organic and just kind of flow however it's going to flow because we're talking about middle age and middle age being different than younger years where you can just like let things play out over time
1: mm-hmm. yeah i I'm, I'm i don't know that's the answer right now stephanie i honestly don't know because there's some stuff i guess we just don't know the answer to until you're at the end of life right and right. so um i really do believe that the line between what is a choice and sort of what is your destiny, that there's, it's a lot blurrier and more overlapping, you know, it's not necessarily an either or. So one, I think there's power in me recognizing that I've chosen that at this point in my life, I have not yet become a mother and like in a biological Mm -hmm. sense, that's okay. Like that's that's a choice. And I think it's okay for women to have choice. (laughs) Let me just put that on the record. I also get that there's something bigger than what I know in this moment or what I'm thinking and feeling in this moment. And so there is a slight fear of missing out. I will say that. And I think that that's natural. You just can't let it rule us. So, um, you know, if I'm thinking in terms of biological terms, it's like, well, you don't have a whole lot of time. But then I also think about there are young people in my world and in my life who. I might play a more direct mothering role, mentoring role as they reach, um, you know, college, for example, like I have friends across seas, for example, who are really thinking of what they want um, their children to do when it's time to go to college. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. See, I'm in a position that I could open my home to them. You know, I think about stuff like that. I think about sometimes my students for example um, who really deserve like a shot at what they want to do in, in their careers and i actually have time and availability to sort of like maybe take them on in terms of working with some of my projects um, i think of the kind of work that needs to happen in our communities in terms of uh, organization building um just activism and i have room and i have time for that so That's what I'm thinking about, and it also leads me to look back at history and this notion that it's supposed to happen by a certain time, it's supposed to look a certain way, the life is supposed to look a certain way. I don't even know that there's really data to support that. We've Mm -hmm. always had people in our communities who've taken on different roles, you know, and we need to value that and re-earth that. Again, I've gotten way off from what your original <laughs> question is, but I'm sure you'll bring me back. <laughs> no, actually, that was a perfect answer
0: because it was about what do you tell somebody who feels like they were going to be a certain place and they they're not there? And you answered it in multiple different ways as to the hope that you still have breath in your life so it's still possible and then also other ways that that can be manifest mm-hmm. that doesn't look like the traditional narrative of what we are being told so that's a perfect answer. And it leads into the next question, because uh, on this show, I talk a lot about overcoming limiting beliefs and living out someone else's narrative for your life. Like the one where you get married, you have 2.5 kids, you have a small dog and a summer home near the water, regardless of how well-meaning it is, it's definitely a limiting belief. And it takes courage and work to overcome the influence of years of conditioning. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing that And in your opinion, how can others do that? So that you're making decisions from your own truth and not from conditioning.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is huge. And discerning like what is conditioning or what is maybe the result of wounds? You know, for example, I think that's tough. And I think all human beings, and I think especially women, like that's something that is real for us. The struggle is real in terms of really figuring that out. So I just want to acknowledge that for people that if you're trying to figure that out, that's normal. Um, or at least it, um, it makes sense. It makes sense that you will be trying to figure that out and you can. Um, the other piece, honestly, this is going to get into my storytelling, political, personal mishmash, which is just how I live my life. Like, I don't know if that is a well-meaning narrative. I'm not sure it is. I think that um, this idea that we're all supposed to aspire to a certain kind of house and life and what have you, and especially when it's thrust upon black people who get an opportunity to do the college education thing, um, if you choose it, that's fine, you know, but I think that there's this urge to create um to force people into this buffer class if you will this black open upwardly mobile as they used to say or just sort of black elite kind of thing um that doesn't really fit most of us you know and i know it definitely didn't fit me and i can proudly say that i think that even for those of us who on the surface may look like we fit the narrative our generation has found a way to refute this idea that we're supposed to be separate from, or we're supposed to be um, taking on this narrative and protecting the status quo. We're all trying to create something new and different that is true, and not just for our own households, but for the communities that we come from. Definitely, definitely. No, and I'm glad um, you pushed back on I'm that. I'm sorry, there's one piece of that that I forgot to say is that, so I think that if we can go back to where that narrative came from, we can release some of its power on our life. Like it's in some ways meant to control and pacify. That's just my honest answer. And um, I think about that a lot because I'm putting stories out in the world and I want to make sure I'm putting out stories that don't just keep reaffirming the same old story, but allow the full truth of who we've been, you know, and who we can be to to come to light.
0: That's beautiful. And it definitely makes me think so i'm I'm really glad that you pushed back on that because now i'm thinking hmm yeah she's right that's it's not necessarily well-meaning and if you think about the effect of it as well the amount of burden that a lot of women carry mm-hmm. because of taking on that narrative you know how could the intent have been well-meaning if the effect is
1: for so much burden so right and think about this too stephanie what does it do to the people who don't achieve it? Like, I, I think about that. So we get to categorize, you know what I'm saying, who the deserving women are, you know, uh, who certain treatment should be reserved for, you know, who we get to respect and not respect. And then you stay in your place, quote unquote, Um, and work the job that you don't love or like because somehow you weren't good enough to make it and have a certain kind of life. So, you know, I think we have to look at the power that narratives have and there. It's, you know, there can be some insidious stuff wrapped up in them.
0: Absolutely. So how has your work as an artist and a filmmaker who focuses on culture, mainly within the U.S. uh, and Black people in the Mid-Atlantic, How has that informed your thoughts about middle-aged women rejecting the story of what our norm should be? And I know we kind of got into this a little bit, but did you have any other thoughts around that?
1: Well, I would just say, um, you know, I have spent, I realized that kind of accidentally, or at least just like unconsciously, I bumped into focusing a lot on stories in the sort of, um, you know, mid Atlantic Philadelphia on down to DC, kind of maybe even New York to area, in a lot of ways, because I was searching for the stories of my own family and stories that reflected like how I grew up and the culture that I love and the genius that I saw all around me. And at some point, I'll expand beyond that, um, for sure. But I just really want to, like delve into that dialogue into it and pull up those stories again, for me, this this term, I'm repopulating, repopulating memory and imagination. And part of what I get to bring back to our memory imagination, I don't have to make it up, it's actually happened, is that there have been so many women before us who have done extraordinary revolutionary things. I always end up in every single one of my films finding some elder, you know, who is at the center or an important part of relaying you know, their life story or lessons or their contributions to the arts. Like that happens all the time. So I feel like, you know, the stories aren't new. Like women have already, especially black women, have always been doing revolutionary things that buck the norm. Um, And we get to uplift and celebrate that. So that's what I get.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that the black girl magic
1: has been here for a long it's time. It's been here. It's been here. <laughs> and some people don't like when we say black girl magic because they think that we are um somehow lessening like our womanhood. And I can understand that critique, but that's not what it's about. We know that girl. Like girl is like a, a term of affection yeah, <laughs> and it's recognizing this this eternal, you know, sense of girlness that is like powerful and magical and wonderful but you know certainly there are lots of elders who with us now and ancestors who had their black girl magic yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. good to know
0: now i saw I know you're still creating um, these two films, but I got to see a preview of your short documentary, Reunion Choir, and it was brilliant. I can't wait for the entire thing to come out so I can watch that and have my children watch it and everybody else I know watch it. But I haven't seen any clips or previews of your film what's in a name Mm -hmm. and i understand it's about a south philadelphia performance artist who's grappling with the names and divergent Mm -hmm. legacies that he has inherited what did you learn about identity while doing this film
1: that helps you grapple with your identity at this stage of your life Mm. Well, to go back to one of those amazing, you know, women um, at the center of the reunion choir story, that film is in production, like you said, and it's all about um, D.C.'s Eastern High School Choir and its heyday. This amazing public school choir. I'm a DCPS graduate. Mm -hmm. Shout us out. This amazing um, public high school choir that became world famous in the late 80s. Um, And even before that, and even after that, had this real legacy in the community. But on top of the story of just the choir and the great music and, you know, the fame that the students achieve, there's this teacher who for like 35 or more years, created this excellent arts program, like right in the time period when people were saying the worst things they could say about D.C. public schools and about urban schools around the country, and to me, that's amazing. She created, with the help of supporters and parents and, you know, other staff, um, a pipeline to college for her students. So that kind of just you know, uh, relentless commitment to young people, um, the level of her artistry and her skill, like she's a virtuoso in terms of choral directing and um, even piano and all of that. It created like a something out of nothing kind of, you know, situation, mm-hmm. sending kids to college with who, who knew that they were acquire scholarships, like folks coming <laughs> from colleges to recruit her students for full year, full four year rides, like that to me. It relates to my identity in that I'm um, like that happened in the school system that I attended. Mm-hmm. That these are folks who live, you know, um, in the same community I live in. I can aspire to that kind of impact, and I can, again, refute some of these ideas that have put, been put upon us about like you know horrible teachers and all this kind of thing, right? um With the South Philly film again, partnering with folks who delve in the arts my main collaborator on that is the main participant in the film the main um, character on screen and his name is khalil manir and he um is on his own journey to discover what he's inherited from his father and his grandfather and to make choices about what he wants to pass on to his his young son so even though in it's a it's coming through the lens of black manhood and 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 fatherhood it's still some of the same themes of what have we inherited let's stop and take stock of it? What have we inherited? And what's been a put up? What's been put upon us um, because of conditioning? And what do I wanna sort through and keep and pass on? Um, so just that that process of figuring out our identities in the context of what has become before, in the context of figuring out what's conditioning and what's true. So that's just part of life, I think. That's just part of ongoing human life. Um so these places that we get to don't necessarily have to be crises. We don't have to call it a midlife crisis. It's an opportunity to do what human beings always do. It's we take stock, we recalibrate, we reflect and we self-determine, you know. So that's what I've gotten from those those um projects. That
0: that's a great point. Uh human beings have always done this because even to me it it almost felt like a surprise that a lot of adulthood is about unlearning some stuff that a lot of stuff that i learned in childhood Mm -hmm. for me that was a surprise like oh i thought i was learned all those things and it was supposed to get me to this place and i didn't realize i had to unlearn so much so Uh, i I like you normalizing it and putting it in into context that that's what human
1: beings do exactly exactly you know yeah exactly and so you just helped me that was a little light bulb for me (laughs) Stephanie thank (laughs) you yes
0: so do you think that and you talk a lot about young people i know you spend a lot of time with young people um, as part of your passion do you think that these imposed norms for the traditional happily ever after still exist
1: for younger women or have we made progress yeah i go back and forth on that i think it's probably split right down the middle and i also if i'm honest think that for some folks who have refuted it, they may not yet have been presented with like uh, an empowering alternative. So it's a little scary. Because I think that we've created this new generation of um, young women who are so powerful, so powerful, so discerning in so many ways. And that's exciting to me. Um, These warrior spirits, these, you know, um, just young creative spirits, I think that that's so powerful and important. But we've sort of set up this narrative, and I heard this from somebody else, I am totally boring, (laughs) that you either have to assimilate, you know, and conform, or you have to be this total, um, just kind of off the wall, uh, what is the word that I want to say? You no, know, I'm struggling with this one right here. Yeah. Stubble, honestly, because I want to say somebody was talking about it. In, in, so let me take it for, for a moment to black men. Somebody was in the context of black men, that the choices they're given, the narratives they can choose either assimilation or criminalization. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and so if in your spirit, you can see that the assimilation is not liberation, then out of this false choice, sometimes we're choosing things that aren't really the freedom that we think they are. Yes. That makes sense. So we can, I think we can kind of go back and apply that with young women where it may not be criminalization. That's part of it, but there's this, there's this sort of, um, denigration of our womanhood Mm -hmm. and I'm not at all judging about people, you know, I'm not at all trying to pick up some old fashioned norms. I'm not, but there is, if we're honest, there is a denigration of kind of like womanhood and sexuality and things in a way that, I understand why we go for it, because who wants to be like, you know, who wants to be somebody's like property, <laughs> you know, right. who wants that? But we've got to work together intergeneration, intergenerationally to create alternatives and narratives that empower and liberate at the same time, if that makes sense. So I hope some folks are following me. I hope that that's coming across. I hear exactly what you're saying, because I do think that some
0: young women find that they get the most power from making their sexuality almost transactional in in the sense of, you know, only fans and, and different things like that, where women are kind of putting their bodies out there as a way to, you know, have a transaction, whether it's, you know, for affection or whether it's for, you know, money or for men or for whatever. And I do see a lot of that. So I'm not sure if that's on the line of what you're talking about, but that's what sort of came up when you were talking.
1: Yeah. So, Oh, no, you're making me be real brave in this conversation. So I'm going to say one I have to be clear that I'm 50 and I can look back at things that I did at 40, maybe even 45, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, and I'm like, ooh, child, you know, so I'm not, you know, like Lauren says, like, you know, I've been through the same predicament, let <laughs> me make sure that that's clear, um, so I'm not coming from a place of holier than now, but, um, and that, Well, the other thing that I want to say is we're talking because we're sisters about the experience that girls and women have in this, but it's everybody like we have turned sex into like this game of, you know, sort of like uh, manipulation and domination and transaction like we, we've done that across the board. You know, so let's be clear about that. So all the folks who want to, I'm not even going to, you know, pick up on the conversations that are happening today, but they want to pick on certain artists or whatever. But then I'm like, are you doing that for the same things that are coming out of the mouths of men? You know, it's the same thing. And everybody loses. Like everybody loses in that game. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It might seem titillating and exciting for a certain point in time. You hit about 35 and you're like, okay. you know, What's next, right? You know, so we've got to... I think have some complex uh conversations (laughs) about where we're going and it's so tough to have those conversations without all of the um messages that want to condemn people or blame people um it's so tough to do it without that but i think we can and i have to admit that i'm very careful about how I'm thinking about those issues and talking about them because my conditioning comes up. You know what I mean? My conditioning comes up. Like you said, we are unlearning things as well. And I wanna be clear that there are some things that I'm not gonna fully understand because it's the job of the younger generation to bring them forward and to push me, you know? So it's it's complex, it's complex, but it's real. If we're honest with ourselves, it's real that we've gotta give folks an, al- an alternative Or the opportunity to create an alternative that's that's not just as imprisoning or, you know what I'm saying, um, as limiting as the assimilation and the old school norms and values. You know what I'm saying? We got to create something that's a win. That's a real win.
0: Exactly. That's true freedom and freedom and empowerment
1: uh, at the
0: same time. So that that was deep. (laughs) so you you talked a little bit about this earlier but what else are you most looking forward
1: to in your life and career at this point oh wow wow wow. i'm excited for one just on a practical level because the two films that i'm working on right now the kind of like the the reunion choir film and what's the name the two sort of biggest projects that are where I am director-producer. And they're both collaborations, by the way. Um, but they're still sort of my first films in a lot of ways. Um, I've done a lot of short stuff, music videos, things for hire, things for museums, all of that. But these are the ones that are like my mark in the world, the beginning of that phase of my career. Um, they're they're on and popping, you know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they're, they're about to be out in the world. Um, Between 2021 and 2022, there's going to be stuff, like, coming out. And then, and I can tell that they're almost ready to be done because the other ideas I have are popping up in my consciousness more and more. So it's, like, almost like I'm ready for the next thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's exciting because I see this whole string of different types of creative works that I want to put out in the world. I want to collaborate with folks on that I think are going to be so much fun to make. And they're going to have a real make a real difference in terms of, again, the narratives that are available to us about ourselves and just about human life. Um, so I'm, I'm a nerd and I am totally obsessed with making (laughs) films and making, you know, telling stories. Um, also let's see, I'm excited about getting a bit healthier. I will say that it's easy when you're relatively healthy to just kind of like let um self-care slide you know what I mean but you've already always been one of the healthiest people that I've known you know and see the thing is I've gotten by on those laurels for a bit now and (laughs) (laughs) the chickens are coming home to roost I'm gonna say like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors involved and I see the um the what what the lack of self-care has caused me, you know? And so things like just, I swear to God, Stephanie, I've been working forever on trying to just get into a regular pattern of sleep and like meditation and yeah. drinking eight glasses of water, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, because it has real impact, like not just because it's cute because it has real impact. Mm-hmm. So just trying to get to that point because of the impact, but also because it would to me, to me it would mean internally that I've graduated past some, um, you know, there's a, a level of just discipline and mental clarity that I've gotten to as well. The fact that I can't do it, I know has everything to do with like addictions in terms of like, you know, needing to watch this thing or surf the web or do this or mm-hmm. not deal with certain emotions. I know it has everything to do with that. So when I am at a place where I'm like, okay, Malkita, take care of yourself. You got to sleep eight hours you got to say no to that offer somebody said over here, or you got to, you know, save that work for tomorrow will be a reflection of some things that I've done internally to heal. Now that's a word right there.
0: (laughs) Uh, Because that is is definitely the truth. I am struggling with uh, some of those self-care things as well. And I know that when I get to that point where I say no to those little addictions. That I'll be where it is that I want to be, and, mm-hmm. and that I choose to be. And it's a choice, just like we were talking about earlier. Um, we get to make those choices for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, well, that's exciting. I'm I'm very very excited about the projects that you're you're working on. Your films. Are there any other current projects that you're working on in addition to your films that you'd like to talk about?
1: Well, um, there's some stuff that I'm, there's two things, actually, there's probably more than two things that I'm really excited about, but because they're in very much development stage and I haven't gotten all of the sort of rights to material cleared and that kind of thing, um, I can't talk about them in a lot of detail, but I will say that uh, there's one project that I'm so excited about doing that is going to be a hybrid of documentary and um, what people call a narrative, but I would call, you know, fiction kind of work, dramatization, and maybe even some animation that really centers around some children's, uh, literature, like this body of children's literature that totally rocked my world as a child. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really want to delve into that and create something that all generations will love. And that, that like originally, you know, I'm just remembering this, Stephanie, I originally got into this game thinking I wanted to make work for children. I wanted to make children's television and movies. And, um, I realized I wanted to do more than that, but I think I'm getting back to that. So there's, there's a piece around that that's for the kids, the kids and their families, um, and honoring just, um, what children's literature has brought to like our generation and all of that. Um, and then, I'm really excited about doing a fictional limited series. So, and I swear this is before Love, Crime, Country and all of that. I swear it's <laughs> before all of that. Like really doing like a period piece that's set in DC. I got some ideas and I got some folks that I want to work with around that. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then there are other things that pop up. Like I really, you know, even beyond things for entertainment, there's just so much wisdom and real, real juicy um scholarship like around me that i feel like needs a bigger platform so i want to create platforms for that i feel like we need more opportunities to have in-depth complex unpacking of things as opposed to just like daily news cycles and let me just throw something up on air i I feel like we really need to go deeper and there are people in my world who are brilliant that i feel like need bigger platforms so i want to be involved in some of that yeah, yeah, and then I want to, I want to learn to sew. <laughs> I want to design clothes for myself. I want to decorate my new place. I mean, there's stuff like that, and um, uh, figure out what my decision is going to be about this mothering thing, you know, and what that part of my life is going to look like.
0: Yeah, uh, all, all very, very exciting. So, my listeners know that I typically pick the playlist for my radio show. But knowing how important music is to you as an artist, I wanted you to pick some songs that were meaningful for you and this topic. So you've picked some songs that have have been played uh, throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And just tell us, just pick a few and tell us why you picked some of the songs that you did
1: well um i love music um i love music and i love what it represents in terms of like black creative technology and black genius um so i want to put that out there first and foremost and it ranges you know so like uh amazing lyricists um just i i just you know want to live vicariously through them so i put um some cyrock uh, dc native um whose uh, album is coming out soon put her on there because she's absolutely brilliant um i also put hometown tribute my sister afi soul i put a song from her um (laughs) song the river that's just beautiful healing song um and then i put some of the greats like um I love, 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 love um, Diane Reeves, you know, even Diana Ross, you know, so I just tried to put some stuff in there that represents, I think, the range of black women creative genius, um, because it comes in lots and lots of forms. I am definitely an old school R&B queen, um, even love some corny R&B. Um, I'm definitely loving some of these new artists who are out. And um, I absolutely love jazz, you know, so I just wanted to put the things out there that represented the range of what we create.
0: Love it. Love it. I'm so glad that I got a chance to ask you about why you picked the music. (laughs) Now it's even more exciting. So please tell my listeners as we wrap up how
1: they can follow you, how they can support your work, um, share your website, your social media. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Thank you for that opportunity. So my company is called Kuyamba Media. So my website is Kuyamba.com. That is K-U-Y-A-M is and Mary, B is and boy, A.com. You can tell I'm used to having to spell it out, right? Um, and Kuyamba is... Um, I'll just say that it means to help and to progress in the Kiganda language. I hope I'm not messing that up. I'm an East African language that my middle name is like a form of that word. And so I felt like that was what I wanted to name my company. So Kuyamba.com. And you can find me also on Twitter. And IG, even though I got to get and step my social media game up, <laughs> I read more than I post in those uh, arenas. And the tag on both of those is Kuyamba Media, so just this one word K U Y A M B A Media. Um, so that's where you can find me. Um, I really like to send people to my website. That's a little old fashioned, but look. Facebook don't own it. <laughs> they no algorithm. Um, so you can see what I put out directly. You can join my list and get updates from me. That's really the best way. And if you choose, you can even donate through um, nonprofit, fiscal sponsors, the buttons and all that on my page as well, kuyamba.com. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: So kuyamba.com is the website. So this has been a wonderful conversation. And even though we didn't have the burgers and the hot dogs, I feel like we were sitting out <laughs> just talking. So thank you so much for uh, participating and agreeing to be a guest on SOAR.
1: I'm thanking you so much. And I'm really so proud of you, Stephanie. This is awesome. You, I see you stepping out as well into your calling. So, you know, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it and to share and to, you know, dive into some things. Thank you for listening to this episode of SOAR. If
0: you'd like to reach me for coaching, you can reach me at www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And if you want to follow SOAR, you can follow Sisters Overcoming and Rising on Instagram or Stephanie Brown Coaching on Facebook. Goodbye for now.